The world is built on opposites, on dichotomies, in, out, on, off, light, dark, sun, moon, happy, sad, dull, sharp, passionate, aloof, conscious, comatose. Welcome to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee, with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Writers, Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. The world is built on opposites, on dichotomies. That's our focus for this week and next on The Right Focus. The ancient Greek word is dichotomia, a cutting in half. That comes from the Proto-Indo-European of dis, twice, and temning, to cut. In, out, on, off, up, down. Straight, curved, light, dark, sun, moon. Happy, sad, dull, sharp. Aware, oblivious. Premeditated, impulsive. Conscious, comatose. Plotter, panster. The world also has its triads and quaternaries. Past, present, future. And earth, air, water, fire. We have many more opposing dichotomies than triads and quaternaries or even symbiotic dualities like yin-yang. Artists work with the interplay of light and dark or chiaroscuro, which I discussed in the imagery episode. When the opposition is presented for effect rather than being symbiotic or an interplay, then we have juxtaposition, defined as an intentional contrast to create a dynamic synergy. The first type of opposition we should discuss is antithesis, anti-against, tithene to place, a contradiction placed closely together in order to emphasize that difference is an antithesis. Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death fits this category, freedom and life versus death. Notice that the phrasing is parallel, which means that it has the same grammatical structure give me liberty or kill me, is not considered an antithesis. Two ideas are placed against each other. The basic antithesis for the following quotation is simple, wise versus foolish. Anacharsis said, wise men argue causes and fools decide them. The example often given to students for antithesis is jumbo shrimp. Literature is often based on the juxtaposed antithesis of protagonist-antagonist. The conflict between these characters is the foundation of plot. Contrast can create a single element or control the entire text. Here's the opening for Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, very famous. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. The Tale of Two Cities opening sentence does much more than introduce the setting and the situation. Throughout the novel, Dickens is contrasting love with hate freedom and equality, with control and oppression through fear. This sentence focuses the entire work. About the Royal Air Force, Winston Churchill said, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. The contrast of many versus few 
emphasizes the RAF's great deed in defending Britain from the Nazi air assault. For the moral of his work on the Second World War, Churchill used this antithesis in war resolution, in defeat, defiance, in victory, magnanimity, in peace, goodwill. This is much more than the simple war versus peace and defeat versus victory contrast. Resolution is contrasted with goodwill, for determination means that mercy must be set aside, while goodwill upswells from a deep fountain of mercy. Defiance is oppositional, while magnanimity is having a great spirit, a willingness to overlook the bad in order to progress together for the good. Here's Robert Southey, who lived 1774 to 1843, talking about winter. A wrinkled, crabbed man they picture thee, old winter, with a rugged beard as gray as the long moss upon the apple tree, blue-lipped, an ice drop at thy blue-sharp nose, close muffled up, and on thy dreary way plodding alone through sleet and drifting snows. They should have drawn thee by the high-heaped hearth, old winter, seated in thy great-armed chair watching the children at their Christmas mirth, or circled by them as thy lips declare some merry jest, or tale of murder dire, or troubled spirit that disturbs the night, pausing at times to rouse the moldering fire, or taste the old October brown and bright. Robert Southey's sonnet presents the opposing views of the season, the one that everyone has of winter's harsh cold, much like Jack Frost. Southey's revelation, however, shows that the winter's season brings people together beside the leaping flames. Children encircle the old season who regales them with stories that give delight. He keeps the fire going outwardly by feeding the fire, inwardly by saving the hard cider. This sonnet also flips its Petarchan structure, giving the cold sestet before the warming octet, matching Southey's flip of our view of the season. From antithesis, let's move to oxymoron. Oxus meaning sharp, moros meaning foolish, deafening silence, dull roar, even odds, exact estimate, open secret. These are just a few of the oxymorons that we encounter in our everyday life. Don't you love open secret? The literal ancient Greek definition of the oxymoron is pointedly foolish, and William Shakespeare utilizes this definition in Romeo and Juliet to describe the feud between the Montagues and the Capulets, O oh, brawling love, O oh, loving hate. The first words spoken by the main characters give a key to any play. Romeo's first words in Act One, Scene One, include a series of oxymorons as he derides the foolish continuation of the feud. Oh, me, he says to Benvolio, what fray was here? Yet tell me not, for I have heard it all. Here's much to do with hate, but more with love. The opening antithesis, hate, love, reveals that the families enjoy escalating confrontation. He continues with these oxymorons. Why then, O oh brawling love, O oh loving hate, O oh anything of nothing first create, O oh heavy lightness, serious vanity, misshaping chaos of well-seeming forms, feather of lead, bright smoke, cold fire, sick health, still waking sleep that is not what it is, this love I feel that feel no love in this. The concluding antithetical chiasmith completes this opening set of oxymorons. The play will continue with contrast as the dream of love turns into a nightmare. Mercutio's Queen Mab speech begins with the fairy magical dream 
only to conclude with horrifying imagery. Shakespeare weaves in light and dark imagery. For the two lovers, everything good occurs at night. Everything destructive occurs during the day. Another of Shakespeare's plays, rich with the antithetical contrast, is Hamlet. I must be cruel to be kind, and mirth with funeral, and dirge in marriage, which are among newly crowned Claudius's first words. Hamlet's What a Piece of Work is Man speech hints at this antithetical theme. He speaks to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, college friends who have arrived long after his father's funeral. They haven't come for him, but at the king's request, which Hamlet rightfully suspects. He claims man is noble in reason and admirable, like a god and the paragon of animals. Then he drops the praises, for man delights not me. He adds nothing more, for this would give Rosencrantz and Guildenstern something to take back to King Claudius. I want to conclude this week's episode with The Lesson of the Moth by Don Marquis. The Lesson of the Moth employs a gimmick. Marquis was a newspaper man. He pretended that Archie, who was a cockroach, used his typewriter every night, and in the morning he would come in and find a written poem. The gimmick was that Archie, as a cockroach, couldn't use the shift key. So there's no punctuation, no capitalization, or anything like that in the poems. Lesson of the Moth is philosophy, and Archie confronts it and tries to understand it. It's about the moth's unexpected dreams that contrast with our own expected dreams. And that's what this whole section on opposites is about. I was talking to a moth the other evening. He was trying to break into an electric light bulb and fry himself on the wires. Why do you fellows pull this stunt? I asked him. Because it is the conventional thing for moths? Or why? If that had been an uncovered candle instead of an electric light bulb, you would now be a small, unsightly cinder. Have you no sense? Plenty of it, the moth answered. But at times we get tired of using it. We get bored with the routine and crave beauty and excitement. Fire is beautiful. And we know that if we get too close, it will kill us. But what does that matter? It is better to be happy for a moment and be burned up with beauty than to live a long time and be bored all the while. So we wad all our life up into one little roll and then we shoot the roll. That is what life is for. It is better to be a part of beauty for one instant and then cease to exist than to exist forever and never be a part of beauty. Our attitude toward life is come easy, go easy. We are like human beings used to be before they became too civilized to enjoy themselves. And before I could argue him out of his philosophy, he went and immolated himself on a patent cigar lighter. I do not agree with him. Myself, I would rather have half the happiness and twice the longevity. But at the same time, I wish there was something I wanted as badly as he wanted to fry himself. That definitely is unexpected irony, isn't it? The contrast of a foul bug philosophizing his conversation with a beautiful moth, which was going to turn into a small, unsightly cinder, and the key items 
It is better to be part of beauty for one instant and then cease to exist than to exist forever and never be a part of beauty. That's a strong opposition. As well as be burned up with beauty and wad all our life up into one little row. Then we shoot the row, which is what life is for. All of that is perfectly typified in the line, come easy, go easy. We normally say easy come, easy go. But for this moth, come easy, go easy, it's fantastic. The structure of this poem helps to emphasize Marquise's words. What is the structure? It's free verse, of course. And the beauty of free verse is how lines can be manipulated to focus on certain words. In stanza two, the anaphora and crave beauty and excitement helps emphasize the moth's desire. Touches of alliteration throughout keep us focused on his desire. Close kill. Be burned beauty. Live long. Be bored. Better beauty. The reversed anastrophe, come easy, go easy, reinforces the moth's backward thinking. He doesn't think like humans do now, but as humans used to before they became too civilized. All that's repetition was in the previous episode. Contrasting half the happiness and twice the longevity through the math of the line returns us to the logical human way of looking at things. Opposition. Juxtaposition. These two lines end with I wish and I wanted. Here is Archie's own desire at the end of the line. Primarily, though, we remember because of the moth's opposite way of looking at life and death. We cling to life while he says, come easy, go easy. I love that poem. I've been imposing a lot of poems on you recently, haven't I? Our focus this summer, starting in mid-May, will be poetry. We'll talk about occasional poems and other ways to structure poems. So if you know a poet, tell them to tune in. We have much more to explore on Opposites. So that's next week, part two, Opposites. We haven't touched paradox and no literary work with its salt avoids the necessary great twist irony. Some writers are masters of all forms of irony. And don't forget satire will be a little short this week because we're going to be a little long next week, very likely. Join us. Inspiration for this episode, a bit of opposition to help you avoid the sin of perfection, comes to us from Somerset Mom. Only the mediocre writer is always at his best. Somerset Mom is making an important point here. He prods us to ask, is what we've just written our best work? His answer is no for we should try to improve with our next work, with every next work. Keep growing, keep learning, keep exploring ways to improve, ways to burn up with beauty. Ha! That's the goal of our enhancement series. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, 
process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Poloschuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.